Good morning. My name is Chris, and I get to serve on the team here at Citizen Church. Pastor Dustin is actually preaching at a church in Colorado today, but he will be back next week continuing our series Moments with Jesus. And I just want to take the opportunity very quick before I go any further to say if you are new to Citizen Church, welcome. We're honored to have you. Come on, let's welcome those that are new to the church today. Hey, we love to connect with you. And one of the ways that helps us do that is something that we have cleverly called a connect card. And uh, it's got to be the shortest fields of information I've ever seen on a card. And no, I'm not just saying that in hopes that you fill it out. But genuinely, we love to connect with you. And that helps us do that. And so at any point through the service, you can grab that from the seat pocket in front of you, fill it out. And on your way out today, you'll have an opportunity to exchange that for a free gift bag. And yes, I understand you might be in here and say, hey, I'd actually love to talk with someone and get some questions answered by all means every week, whether you're new or you've been here for years, you can always stop by the connect room. It's that Glaston room to your right as soon as you leave the auditorium and make your way into the atrium. Well, we are continuing our series Moments with Jesus, a series all about looking at people's moments or encounters with Jesus that completely changed their life forever. And today we're going to be looking at one of Jesus's moments, just one of his moments of display of both grace and truth in John chapter eight. And so we'll make our way there later on in the sermon. But we're going to look at Jesus's display of both grace and truth in John chapter eight. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I'm presented with two options, I tend to automatically move into the mindset of an either or decision when it could be a both and decision. Let me tell you what I mean. This past Friday night, my family and I, we went to a pizza place for dinner. I tend to be someone who likes to think out loud. Anyone else with me? Like we just kind of, that's how we process. It helps us. Yes, we're for sure. If you're raising your hand, we look crazy in public. There's no doubt about it. So like, if you've never been told that, I'm just going to tell you right now, we seem crazy. I mean, we make people feel uncomfortable because they're wondering, like, are you talking to me? Are you just thinking? I don't know what to do right now. Like what's happening. And, and, and I tend to be this way. And so we go to this pizza place and I'm walking up to the counter and I, I'm thinking out loud and I'm processing what it is that I want to order and have pizza for that night. And I walk up and I say, red vine or barbecue chicken, red vine or barbecue chicken. I'm just kind of looking at the menu going back and forth when suddenly a voice from behind the counter says, why not both? Why don't you just do both? You can split it down the middle, half red vine, half barbecue chicken. I thought to myself, that's amazing. Let's do both. Let's do that. I tend to live in this both and world when it comes to food, especially like I'm not going to frozen yogurt, trying to make an either or decision for my toppings. It's like both and with ice cream, both and someone asked me, you want red or green chili? I'm going Christmas, both and, and we tend to live though in what's known as extreme responses, extreme responses. An extreme response is a this or that only. Some examples of this in real life could be hard work or rest. Both hard work and rest are necessary in life. And there's sometimes we tend to box ourselves in and make a either or decision when both are actually necessary. I've seen people feel like I've got to take on this new business and it's all hard work. Just going to grind nonstop. Go, go, go. 
they soon find out rest is necessary. Hard work and rest are healthy. And then, of course, the opposite would be true. If it's rest only, you will very quickly find out hard work is necessary. It's both and. Sometimes it can be a solitude or community type of mindset. I'm going to do life on my own or I'm just going to live with a bunch of people. Both are necessary. Solitude and community. As Jesus lived this out throughout his life, he took time to get away with the Father, to spend time praying to the Father on his own, but also did life with others that he was ministering to and traveled with the disciples. Both were necessary. Sometimes it's a, I'm good enough right now, or I can get better. Both are important to understand. You're good enough right now, but also you can get better. It's a both and. And the same is true when it comes to grace and truth. Because the Bible says that Jesus came full of both grace and truth. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says this, the word, and it's a capital W because John oftentimes wrote Jesus and word as one, the same meaning. The word became flesh. Jesus, we celebrate this every year in December and made his dwelling among us for 33 years. We've seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father. Here it is full of grace and truth, not full of grace or truth. Depending on the situation, he came full of grace and truth as followers of Christ. We're called to live like Christ, which means that if he is full of grace and truth, we should strive to be full of grace and truth. The word full in the Greek is pleris, which means filled to the brim abounding in, thoroughly full. As believers, we should be full, filled to the brim, abounding in, thoroughly full of both grace and truth, that when others bump into us like a full glass of water, we can't help but spill out grace and truth onto others. And notice the analogy, bumped into, something that maybe kind of causes a little bit of a disruption throughout your day. You're bumped into, it's an accident, but yet it can be something that we could have a frustration about. We're so full of grace and truth to the brim that when bumped into, we can't help but spill out grace and truth on to others. It's important. And here's the reality though. Too often, we tend to make a choice to either spill out grace or truth onto others. People who tend to lean truth only, they tend to be judgmental people. At the very least, they come across as making remarks such as, you're a sinner, you're going to hell, turn or burn. Like that's the extreme version of this. But truth only people, they tend to come across like this at times. Very judgmental people. It's like, you're all wrong. And here's what I'd say to truth only people. If you're right, but not effective, then you're not right. If you're right, but not effective, then you're not right. I've heard it said before, you can technically be so right, yet so wrong at the same time, morally. And we'll see that in John 8 here in a moment. Not to mention, if you're not effective, then it's not the best approach. If, if it's something that's not working, your truth only, it's not effective, then it's not the best approach, and you're wrong. All truth lacks compassion. All truth only lacks compassion. Of course, the other side of this is grace only people. Grace only people. They tend to say things like, it's okay. You're okay. 
The world's okay. Do whatever you want. You do you. You do you. Just do whatever you want. It actually, you know what? It doesn't even really matter what you do. Just do whatever you want. Here's what I'd say to grace only people. It does matter. It does. It matters. Why? Because sin matters. And if someone is living in a lifestyle of sin, that sin is what separates us, the Bible tells us, from God. So it, it, it does actually matter. It matters. One of the greatest forms of love is when God calls us out of our sin. When he calls us out of our sin, truth is God's standard. We need to understand that today. Truth is God's standard. John 17, 17 says this, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. His word is truth. Truth is God's standard. Grace is God's favor. Grace is God's favor. And it tells us this in Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. God saved you by his grace. It's not something you did, as we'll see in the rest of this verse. He saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done. So none of us can boast about it. After my friends and I gave our life to Jesus, we were in high school. I saw these extreme responses play out in real time between two friends of mine. And of course, I would tend to show one side or the other as well, but I'm telling the story and it's from my perspective. And so this is how I would oftentimes see this play out. One tended to lean all truth. Oftentimes, the other friend of mine tended to lean all grace oftentimes, and I have nicknames to this day for both of them. The all truth one, I call him the Al Capone of faith. I mean, this guy is like a gangster of faith. He's the type of attitude that it would just be like he would kind of give this impression off. It's like, hey, Chris, what'd they do? I'm like, man, they messed up. They sinned. Kill him. You know, it's just like, dude, what? relax, like relax. You know, it's grace. And the other friend. I call him Crush, if you don't remember, the turtle from Finding Nemo, Crush, the crush of faith. And he was the type of guy that would give off this impression. It's like, hey, what'd they do? What'd they do? I'm like, man, they messed up. They sinned. He's like, bro, dude, it's all good. It doesn't matter. It's all fine. We're all on a destination going somewhere. Not a big deal, bro. And I'm just like, at some point, maybe, if they've been living in this lifestyle, I wonder when we're going to address this. Like, and it was just like Al Capone at one day, and then the other day it was like crush. It was like, it doesn't matter, bro, but there's a balance. There's a balance in understanding that grace and truth are applicable for our lives to receive that and to give that. And here's how I've heard it said. Truth without grace is mean. Grace without truth is meaningless. Truth without grace is mean. Grace without truth is meaningless. And here's what I want to do. Let's first talk about grace and specifically what grace is expressed through. And the first thing is this. If you're taking notes, grace is expressed through number one, love, love. And I would say this too, here in a moment, I'm going to talk about truth. And I think that truth is expressed through love as well. In fact, one of the core values of our church is we speak the truth in love, but grace is expressed through love as well. John 13, 34 and 35, it says a new command I give you. This is Jesus speaking. He says, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another by this. All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. For each of these expressions of 
grace, I want to also give a truth with it. And the first truth with this point, number one, love is this. As believers, we can't antagonize and influence at the same time. We can't antagonize and influence at the same time. Love is necessary. And throughout this, you'll see a common threaded theme, and that's understanding what we've been shown we should show towards others. And I think sometimes if we're not careful as believers, we can go on living our lives, going through what it is that we've experienced, fully neglecting the reality of something that someone else could experience as well. So it looks like this. You've been shown love by others. What's it now look like for you to show love to others? We can get so much wrapped in our own world that it's receive, 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 when in reality we're called to do both. Receive and grow as believers, but also pour out onto others. Love. It's important because we can't antagonize and influence at the same time. The second thing grace is expressed through is empathy. Empathy. Romans 3, 23, it says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And here's something I want to partner with this. As believers, we can't forget what we've experienced through experience. We can't forget what we've experienced through experience. Here's what I mean by this. You may not require as much grace because you've had more time to mature in your walk with Christ. But don't forget how it started. Don't forget what it looked like when you were a new believer and someone had empathy for you. Someone had love for you. The very thing that you've experienced. I've heard it said that gratitude is expressing to others what we have experienced ourselves what the early days looked like, empathy. And the reality is this, don't forget how it started or how it's going, because you still need grace today, and tomorrow you're going to need grace again, next week, next month, next Have empathy for others around you. The third thing grace is expressed through is service. Service. First Peter 4.10, it says this, each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of what? God's grace in its various forms. Mark 10, 45, Jesus says this, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. As believers, we can't only be served, we must serve too. We can't only be served, we must serve too. And I'm not going to stay on this point too long because I think you get the idea here is that it can't just be me focused only. I believe that we also need to feed ourselves spiritually, but also we need to help others grow in their walk with Christ as well. And you know what? Extending grace, that's what it looks like to help people develop and mature as believers in Christ. That's what it looks like because we've had that towards us as Christ, as he served us and he came to give his life for all of us. So here's a moment of both grace and truth on full display from Jesus in John chapter eight. We're going to look at verses one through 11. It says this, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives at dawn. He appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach him. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. I want to pause right here. I think it's important to note this. As you read scripture, of course, Pastor Dustin says this often. Slow down. Understand what you're reading. And I want us to get this perspective. The fact that they brought the woman only shows 
that these religious leaders did not care for justice at all because natural justice would involve the man too. This would involve both people involved. And so there was a religious spirit, a religious heart already with these Pharisees, which we know this about Pharisees, is they have a religious spirit, a religious heart. It's all about looks. It's all about just truth only. And so for them to try and claim truth here in a moment and to only bring the woman in shows that they could care less about truth. They could care less about justice. They're just trying to, as we see here in a moment, trap Jesus. It says this, they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery and the law of Moses commanded us to stone such woman, women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And Jesus knew that they weren't living to the standards of their own teachings. So he knew he could say something like this, knowing that there would be basis for them themselves to walk away from this moment. And it's a wonderful incredible way that Jesus answers this because either way they're trying to trap Jesus that if he said one thing it could go against the law of Moses if he said another thing and it went all truth and said okay let's execute this woman then they could call on the Roman government and and basis to have basis on Jesus to call on an execution that he'd have a right to do so it felt like either way was a trap so this response was absolutely brilliant in verse 8 it says this again he stooped down and wrote on the ground At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the oldest ones first, until only Jesus was left with a woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Verse 11, no one, sir, she said. He said, neither do I condemn you. I want to pause. That's grace. This is what grace looks like. Has no one condemned you? No one then neither do I condemn you. This is Jesus putting on full display grace. But the very next line gives us truth. It doesn't stop there. Jesus goes on to say, go now and leave your life of sin. That's grace and truth on display fully. Grace and truth. It could have stopped and said, hey, it's not a big deal. Let's just let this go on. Let's just go on. He doesn't condone the sin. He addresses the sin. And literally calls it sin. Go and sin no more. Grace and truth fully on display in this moment from Jesus. And as I said, as followers of Jesus, we should strive to understand what it means to walk fully in both grace and truth, not grace or truth. This is so important because Jesus could have ended the conversation with his question and statement of didn't even one of them condemn you, neither do I, but he doesn't end the conversation like that. It ends with truth. Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus doesn't ignore the sin. He acknowledges it and tells her to go and leave her life of sin. Let me say this. Truth is not just rules and regulations. Truth is a person. Truth is Jesus. Truth is Jesus. And we need to understand this because Jesus says in John 14, 6, I, I am the way and the truth and the life. Grace invites us to be free so the truth can set us free. Grace invites us to be free so the truth can set us free. I want you to see what it says in John 8, 31 and 32. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and what? 
The truth will set you free. Grace invites us to be free so the truth can actually set us free. Psalm 119, 105, it says, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. Here's how I wrote this down. Grace helps us up. Truth helps us walk. Grace helps us up. Truth helps us walk. Someone feels knocked down. This woman and what could be the most embarrassing part of her life ever. Jesus extends grace, helps her up, but doesn't just help her up and doesn't address anything. He says, go now and leave your life of sin. Truth helps us walk. Jesus speaks truth while extending grace. Both are possible because God loves us as we are, but loves us too much to leave us as we are. God cares too much for us to just say, hey, I've extended grace. What does this look like? Is it a cycle of sin? Is it something you feel like you have to live in? No, Jesus speaks life and speaks truth over our situations. And there's times where we feel knocked down and we feel depleted and we feel hopeless, wondering what's the point of waking up? Am I going to experience any joy today? And grace says, I'm here for you. I'll help you stand to your feet. But also, I love you too much to let you keep living your life like this. So I want to also send you with truth, which will help you walk throughout your life. And so it's important to look at this. And now that we've talked about grace, we've seen this moment with Jesus. I want us to focus a little bit on truth, because once we experience the grace of God, a primary question becomes, where do we go from there? Like, what does this look like? Okay, you've helped me up. Truth helps me walk. Which way do I walk? What does it look like? What tempo am I walking at? Where do we go from there? This is where truth is so important. And the possible reality, if we don't ask this question, is that we could go back to our old way of thinking and old way of living before the grace of God. But God's truth says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Romans 12, 2. It says this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So after we experience the grace of God, what does walking in a new way of thinking and living look like? And it starts with understanding what our new foundation is. We have to understand that once we start to accept the grace and walk in the truth, we have to know or be reminded of what our foundation is. Because before the grace, the foundation was sand. The foundation was easily torn apart. It was maybe a foundation built on our own ideas or things passed on to us, not on God's truth, which is solid rock. And here's what it says in Matthew 7, 24 and 25. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall. Why? Because it had its foundation on the rock. Our former foundation was the world standards. Our new foundation is God's word. It's the truth. It's easy to say the new foundation is God's word, but it's difficult to unravel what that really means. So let's talk about it. And here's our next set of points, just three of them on the basis of truth. God's word, truth as our foundation means that we'll need to accept the truth that confronts us. 
I think sometimes it's far too often too easy to just continually extend grace. It's easy to just keep saying grace, grace, grace. But how do you grow? God's word provides a way for us to grow because it's truth. It gives us principles. It gives us understanding on how to walk out this life. It's a light to our path. It helps us see when it's dark. It helps us understand when it feels like things are hazy. God's word is truth that helps us walk. And I think we need to understand and embrace accepting the truth that confronts us is a reality once we begin to live our life for Christ and once we've experienced his grace. Because God's truth will confront our lives. The role of the Holy Spirit, one of his roles is to convict us, speak to us. And I don't know about you, but there's been times where I'm reading the Bible, I'm reading God's word, and there's something it's saying. And you know what? I'm doing everything I possibly can to avoid it. Why? Because being confronted is not comfortable. It's very much uncomfortable when you're confronted. In real life, think about it in situations where someone confronts you, it's not easy. It's not something you're just like, man, I love being confronted. This is awesome. Hope I get confronted today. Like hopefully, hopefully someone just like has a hard conversation with me. I just love that kind of stuff. It's like, you're weird. That's strange. Stop. God's word at times will confront our lives. And to be honest with you, it's a little bit like that. Stop. I don't like this. But we have to, once we experience the grace, walk in truth, accept the truth is going to confront us. James 119 through 21, it says this, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. And humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So when we accept the truth that confronts us, we have to walk in humility. And understanding that our pride is going to want to get the best of us. You don't have to do this. You don't have to change anything. Let's, let's just leave that part out. I can remember there were times when I was new in my faith. There were parts of the scriptures that I just didn't want to read. I wanted to avoid it because I knew it was confronting my life. And my youth pastor would tell me, Chris, you got to read those parts of scripture. Those are the parts that help you grow. Those are the parts that help you grow and mature in your walk with Christ. Those are necessary. They're not always fun, but they help you grow in your relationship with Christ. Timothy Keller an amazing pastor who's recently passed away once said this, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idolized version of yourself. Lowercase g, because if your God never disagree with you, disagrees with you, you are worshiping an idol of yourself. And here's what I wrote down. The sign of a God-changed life is that you understand the necessity of God telling you how to live your life. Notice I didn't say the mark of a changed life is you fully embracing, loving, and liking God telling you how to live your life. Because the reality is this, there's times you're not going to enjoy it. God's word is saying something that is like confronting your life. And it's difficult to understand that truth, to walk in that and through that confrontation. And I think when someone has been changed by God, they have to understand the necessity of God telling them how to live, how to grow, how to walk out their journey with Jesus. Psalm 86, 11, it says this, teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. Grant me purity of heart so that I may honor you. God's word, truth as our foundation, number two means that we'll need to embrace the truth that guides us. We'll need to embrace the truth 
that guides us. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. It says, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And the third way, God's word, as our foundation means that we'll need to, number three, live the truth that challenges us. Live the truth that challenges us. James 1, through 25 says this, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. There's so many people who've received Christ. In fact, just last Sunday, can you celebrate this with me? Just last Sunday, 107 people gave their life to Christ here at Citizen Church. And that's absolutely amazing. And the Bible says that when even one gives their life to Christ, the angels in heaven rejoice. And I want to let you know, if you're in this room, your church family rejoices with you as well. We're with you. And you've experienced the grace. And the grace helps us up, but the truth helps us walk. And there's a journey. You could see this as, let's just accept the grace only. How do you grow? Truth. Truth helps us grow. Truth helps us walk in freedom. That's what it's for. Maybe you're in here. You know Christ. You've been living for Christ. Doesn't matter how long, but maybe you need the reminder today of God's grace and truth in your life. Maybe you've been so discouraged about something. Know that this applies to you as well. At times where you feel defeated, knocked down. Yeah, you know Christ, but you still at times feel knocked down, actually get knocked down. God's grace and truth is for your life as well. Maybe you're in here and you know Christ. And you need to understand that grace and truth needs to be extended to someone else in your life. Maybe you've been playing an either or game with someone. And it's time to understand The thing that you've experienced is what others can experience as well. Grace and truth. And what's so absolutely incredible about this moment with Jesus in John 8 is that this woman represents every single one of us. Every single one of us. In the midst of our sin, our Jesus, our Savior, you know what I see him do? He walks humbly. He doesn't just see her in her sin in a way of seeing her that looks down on her. When the religious leaders dragged her in, I see my Jesus stoop down and he could see this woman in the eyes and I can just picture what she's thinking. How embarrassing in front of everybody. She's literally thinking, I I might die today. This might be my last day. And I can just see Jesus, his eyes looking at her with confidence saying, nope. My grace is sufficient for you. My mercies are new every morning. My forgiveness is for you despite this sin. I have a plan for your life and I can help you get up with grace and walk in truth. And I want to remind you today, if you're in here and you don't know Christ, you might feel like you're in the lowest of lows. I want to let you know you're Jesus, who you can accept today, 
stoops down. He sees you right where you're at. You feel like you're so low. He gets down on your level and says, I see you. I love you. I care for you. I knew everything about you. I knew you when you were in your mother's womb. I know the amount of hair on your head. I know everything about you. And you know what? I still choose you. I still love you. I still care for you. And I don't want to see you continue walking in this way of sin. And so today, I just want to give a simple invitation. If you're in here and you're not living for Christ, I want to let you know that you can make that decision today and he can change everything about your life. You can have your own moment with Jesus because the thing about moments with Jesus is that we can hear explanations from others, but it's another thing to have an encounter for ourselves. And I can remember having my own encounter, my own experience that I can talk about with Jesus when he saved me and changed me. I didn't grow up in a home that went to church. I was invited to church later on life. I gave my life to Christ July 10th, 2002. Changed everything about my life. My family's raised in the church, my kids. It's amazing because Jesus, I had a moment with him and he changed everything about me. And I can explain it and that's great, but you can have your own moment with Jesus today. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm gonna simply ask this on the count of three. If you say you wanna make that decision, just simply raise your hand. It's a moment between you and God and I want you to raise your hand just so I know who I'm praying for. I'm not gonna ask you to come down front. If that's you, you say, I wanna give my life to Jesus. One, two, three, raise your hand. See your hand, I see your hand, I see your hand, I see your hand. I see it, I see it, I see your hand. You can put your hands down. Father, we're so grateful that you came here. You humbled yourself. You gave us a new way to live. You showed us grace, and you extend that grace to us today. You've given us your truth so that we can walk in it according to your word. And thank you, Jesus, that you died for every one of us. But you didn't stay down. You resurrected three days later so that we can have life, life abundantly, life eternally through you. We love you, and we give you all of the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.